It is our family's eighth Christmas here at Azure Hills, and every time, every time the lights and the trees come out and we begin to sing these songs, oh, come let us adore him. Uh, it's really moving, isn't it, to remember the birth of our Jesus. And there's a lot of people that make this happen. Our deacons and the entire team were working a lot this last Sunday. And Paul and Sahat and the entire deacons team, we just want to appreciate you. So if you could do that one more time. Because this is a beautiful space to walk into and what gratitude we have in our hearts for those who make that happen. So thank you to each one of you for doing your part. It's such a gift to come into this Advent season. And this is our second day of December, so it is our prayer that your heart will be prepared, that my heart would be prepared for what God wants to do during this Advent season. Would you pause with me as we open up our hearts to God in prayer? Our dear God, we are so grateful for the light of Jesus. Would you come in this moment and open up our hearts and our minds to you? You know what you have to speak to each one of us. Those joining us at home, those who are here right now, we all are saying, God, we are your children. Please speak to us now. We're listening. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The story goes that a man was peacefully resting, husband next to his wife, as she stirs him from his deep slumber. Perhaps he was wearing his watch and it even recorded that he was disturbed. But she shakes him and she says, there was a sound downstairs. How many of you have ever had that experience happen? There was a sound downstairs. You need to go check it out. And he knows after 25 years of marriage that he will not go back to sleep until he checks it out. So he goes downstairs, and like usual, he goes to check the back door. But this time, he's startled because he sees someone there. There is a robber trying to break into their house, and as the guy starts to flee, because he wasn't expecting to see anyone, he wants to flee the scene, he reaches out and he stops him and he says, hold on, I need you to come meet my wife. And he says, why do you want me to meet your wife? Well, she's been expecting you for 25 years. I love it. <laughs> the story that we go to today is about expectation. I read the letter that Paul writes to the Galatians this week. And as I read through this letter of Galatians, there's this section in chapter four, verse four, and it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. And in this way, he came to us who were under the law, and he himself was born under the law, so that we might receive adoption, the text says, as God's children. So there were people living at the time when Jesus was born 
who were eagerly waiting, anticipating the fullness of time. And the truth was they didn't know when the fullness of time would come. They waited and longed for and eagerly expected something that they did not have control over. But they sat in expectation. And so the story that we go to today, the place in scripture that talks about waiting for this fullness of time, a man and a woman who were characterized by eager anticipation. His name, Simeon. Her name, Anna. I invite you to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. And it says, And there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child to Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him into his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet named Anna, the daughter of Phenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them in that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. How long? Were they waiting for the fullness of time? How long were these two expecting the light of the world to come and watching and looking, waiting in the darkness, eagerly seeking the light? We're not told if Simeon, who it, of whom it says that he was told that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. Was he waiting months? Was he waiting years? Was he waiting decades? Was it revealed to him when he was 12? We don't know how long they waited. Nevertheless, we are left with the impression that Simeon and Anna were patient people, living in expectation, longing that leads to focus that has not waned. There is this time, perhaps you've heard it said, of liminal space. It's the space when something else has not quite ended and the next thing has not quite begun. It's this liminal space in which Simeon and Anna were living. 
Simeon was told that he would not die until he saw what God was doing next. But he hadn't yet taken hold of it. He woke up every day wondering, is this going to be the day? You told me that I would see what you're going to do in the world. Is this the day? Living in expectation, living in waiting, living in the liminal space between. I think he was immersing himself in scripture in that time because the words that he says echo Isaiah's words. I invite you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 42. I believe Simeon, his words echo the fact that he himself had been reading this word and holding on to this word even as he waited. Here is my servant whom I uphold. Verse 1, my chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Perhaps an unlikely place, but this is the place that I go to when speaking with anyone struggling with depression or anxiety or post-traumatic stress. Isaiah 42 verse 3. That when you are bruised, when you feel like you're a wick about to be snuffed out, look what Jesus does. He doesn't break you. He doesn't snuff you out. He comes like a gentle savior who understands. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice, Isaiah continues. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands put their hope. This was a favorite verse on Orcas Island when I pastored there. This is what God the Lord says, he who created the heavens and stretched them out, he who spread out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for my people, a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And if you turn a few pages to your right, or just type it in on your phone, Isaiah 49, it says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Judah and Israel, I, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that what? my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. This is what Simeon was immersing himself in. The promise of God was to come to all people. The promise of God was to raise up this light that would be drawing all to himself. And so Simeon calls out right there in the temple as he is there with Anna and as he's holding this baby who came at eight days old to be circumcised as was commanded, right? Circumcise him, name him. This is what was required by law. And here he holds him and he says, this is the one. This is the light of the world. This is the one we've longed for. Anna was also living at the temple and waiting. And when she came up to the child and his parents, she was one of those two, the only two witnesses in the temple that day at that very moment. I love how God does these big things, these amazing things on on earth's history, telling us exactly that he's at work and he has those who are ready to bear witness. And Simeon and Anna bear witness in that moment to what God was doing in the world. Anna spoke 
to all those who we're looking forward to, that is to be filled with longing, expectation, waiting for the redemption that was to come. This is the promise they declared that all people would be saved through Jesus Christ, that Jesus was a light for all. Though we don't know what they were expecting to see, what was Simeon expecting that would be the sign that he had seen the Lord's Messiah? We don't know. But when Mary and Joseph showed up in that bustling, busy temple as they're holding this baby, whatever it was, he knew this is the one. He knew that the fulfillment had finally taken place, that their greatest desire had come, and that the wait was now over. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Simeon and Anna? I can see the knowing that Simeon suddenly recognizes as he's woken up in liminal space every day, waiting, wondering, is this the one? And then he recognizes them. It said the spirit had him move to the temple and the spirit told him that this was the one. I can see the knowing as he quickly moves over to Mary and to Joseph. I can see Simeon's eyes filling with tears as he realized that the promise of God for him was true, that he was now holding the Messiah with quivering hands and a trembling body, taking that baby in his hands, gazing at him, blessing and worshiping God, calling out, this is the one. This is the one. This is the one through whom God will save all people. Can you imagine how Simeon would have experienced that? Light for all being held right in his hands. And he holds Jesus, standing in the gap in the space between the old covenant and the new covenant. For Jesus, remember, he sat around that table and he said, he lifted up the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is for all people. And he was about to go to the cross. But in this moment, that isn't close to happening yet. That's going to be years later he holds this baby who is the promise of the new covenant even as he is looking back to the former covenant. And he holds this baby in his arms. He is holding the promise of God. He is holding salvation for all humanity, men and women and children, that no one has to live in darkness anymore, that everyone can come to the truth, the light of God. Anna, who had not left the temple, I can imagine her holding him too, that she who spent time fasting and in prayer came forward testifying about the child to those who gathered round, holding redemption in her arms, the savior of the world. You see, light misunderstood can lead to exclusivity. Sometimes people talk about the truth that way. I'm so glad I have the truth. I'm so glad I was born into the truth. I'm so glad my children have the truth of God. I can't imagine without living, living without this hope or this truth or this light, but it can lead to a feeling of favoritism and entitlement. At different times in history, God's people have been guilty of this and we can easily too. But the truth is in the very declaration of who Jesus was, it was light for all. It's too small a thing for you to just go redeem Israel. I want to get everyone. I want to save everyone, God says. It's too small a thing for you to just go for these ones. There's light enough for all. And so God intends 
for us to be like he intended for them, the priesthood of all believers, that the light in us, that the light of the grace and the love of God through Jesus Christ would pour out into all of our relationships, of the people around us. One of my favorite authors says, exile is when you forget your story. You lose the plot. So Israel had been through these periods of exile all throughout their journey. They spent 430 years in Egypt, and then God established them again. And then they forgot the plot again, and they ignored the oppressed, and they became powerful and forgot their God And then they went into captivity again in Babylon. And then they were returned to their own city in Jerusalem. And then they had oppressors that were ruling over them. And so this is where we pick up the story here in the first century in the New Testament that in these writings, God was present with them. God was answering them, but they were an occupied people. They were living in darkness, oppressed, taxed heavily. They felt that pain, and they cried out to God. As in every other time in history, when they were oppressed or ruled over or brought into slavery, the scripture says God heard and God answered. Every time when they were looking and longing, God responded. Waiting, waiting, waiting the response of God. And Jesus came, the light of the world at this very time. The light of Jesus Christ, more brilliant than any other light that had ever been. We thought there was only enough light for a few people, and Jesus throws open those doors and says, my light is for everyone. The power of my light is for everyone, everywhere, through all time. The power of God wrapped up in one so little, a tiny baby boy, a baby born in a lowly place. The baby that this second day of December, you are invited to imagine, to remember, to reflect on. This baby that was unanticipated by so many, and yet there were those who were longing, watching, waiting, hoping, keeping their eyes open. The shepherds who responded to the angel chorus, the wise men who were studying and watching and waiting for his coming. It's different kind of king is the title of our musical next week. He wasn't found in priestly robes. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths, in a feeding trough, the only place his mother could find to lay him down. So simple, and yet a light had never shone more brightly. The power of God. I can imagine Simeon as he held that baby, that every fiber of his DNA was just enlivened because he was so excited to finally hold the promise of God. God told him, you will get to hold the Lord's Messiah. And and now he says, you can let your servant depart in peace because I've held the fulfillment of your promise. You see, the very, very first prophecy we have of Jesus in in Genesis 3.15 says that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And He would have known that. Simeon would have remembered that the promised one is going to crush the head of the serpent, the one who has ruled over us. More than the Roman oppression, there is the oppression of the enemy. And I hold the promise, the freedom that is coming for all people will come through this baby. I can imagine Simeon's joy. 
I think he might have had a pretty emotional moment in that moment too. I think he would have been elated. And I think Anna too, as they experienced this moment that all humanity had been longing for, that everyone had been waiting for, Jesus the one, the infant, the fragile child who would grow to defeat the enemy. The true exile that we had all been in was now coming to a close because the light of God had come. The season of Advent really means appearance and arrival, and it's one that we wait for. Await implies that we're paying attention, just like Simeon and Anna waiting, waking up every day, watching for where God is at work. Yet we have a hard time waiting. It's hard to wait. In this fast-paced world, we have to wait, and yet none of us welcome it or desire it. One author shares that the average person spends five years of his or her life waiting in line. Remember that calmly uh, as you wait in line for whatever you're doing. Hopefully Amazon is your friend as it is mine, so you wait in less lines. But as I returned calls this week, I remembered we spend two years on average playing telephone tag, waiting for someone to return the call back and forth, and six months waiting in red lights. Some of you, I think it might be two months because you run all those red lights. I see you, California driver. I see you. I see you. Even in this fast-paced world, we have to wait. And yet it's hard for us sometimes. But in the liminal space of waiting, we find something that only waiting can provide us. Waiting allows us space to think about what we value most. Waiting allows us to think about what we are grateful for, what we long for. Waiting on God gives us space to remember who God is and who we are. As anyone who has responded to a major disruption in your life, cancer, another illness, an accident, broken relationship, or something that you haven't expected or wanted in your life, the wait can cause a major refocus. It can bring a gift of zeroing back in on the light of God in your life. The story of Advent is a story of a God who comes to those who wait and who shines the light wherever we are. Dallas Willard describes this story in his book, A Divine Conspiracy. And after I shared this story in first service, I was told an amazing story that someone in our congregation remembers this experience, this exact experience. He says, as a child, I lived in an area of southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning. We had more of that than we could use, but in my senior year of high school, the REA, the Rural Electrification Administration, extended its lines into the area where I lived and electrical power became available to households and farms. When those lines, lines came by our farm, a very different way of life presented itself to us. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, like darkness and dark, daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could be vastly changed for the better because of this electricity. But we still had to believe in the electricity and take practical steps to begin relying on it. You may think this comparison rather crude, he says, and in some respects it is, but it helps us to understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of heaven. 
if we pause to reflect on those farmers who, in effect, heard the message, repent for electricity is at hand. Repent, turn from your kerosene lamps and lanterns, your ice boxes and cellars, your scrub boards and rug beaters, your woman-powered sewing machines and radios with dry cell batteries. The power that could make their lives far better was right near where they were, making relatively simple arrangements. They could utilize it. Strangely, though, a few didn't accept it. They didn't enter the kingdom of electricity. They just didn't want the change. Others thought they couldn't afford it. To be sure, the kingdom has been here as long as humans have been here, even longer. But it has been available to us with such confidence in Jesus, the anointed one. The electricity is running. The electricity is available. The light is here. Will we open ourselves to receive it? Our member that described this said their mom took slides, uh, pictures of the day the electricity was coming to their rural farm and that they will always remember that moment of when the light was available to them. Like Simeon and Anna, it's the invitation to my heart and to yours to take Jesus into our arms and into our hearts. He's the only way we'll find peace. He's the only way that we can have salvation he is the light of the world. We have reason to rejoice because God has come to us. And as you come humbly to him today, God says to you and to me, just as sure as I kept my promise to Simeon, I will keep my promise to you. You might be waiting too. You might have been living in liminal space for a while, but just as sure as the promise came then, the promise comes to you now. Just like Anna and Simeon, God wants us to receive him and to hold him so our lives can go on forever. Just like Simeon and Anna, that we can testify to this story that here is our redemption. Just like Simeon and Anna, we can have patience as we wait for the full dawning of light in this world. Because how many of us look around and see the darkness and know that we need light? There is hope and life and light enough for all. So today with Simeon and Anna, I declare to you, the light has come. The light has come. And his name is Jesus.